Oh my god, what's that? Dude, no, oh my god. Oh my god. It's It's the Horror Comedy Podcast with Jake and Haley. It's the Horror Comedy Podcast, the only podcast where we smoke marijuana and I try to scare you with a true scary story. I'm your host, Haley, and this is your co-host, Jake? Jake? Jake! Huh. Well, no Jake, I guess. Usually, I would tell a true scary story to my co-host, who is a good Midwestern boy, and a skeptic, and he would say, like, funny little things throughout, but he's not here today. But the scares must go on. What can I say? This is the part of the podcast where I'd usually ask, what are we smoking today? But the fact is, you guys, I'm not smoking anything. I'm actually drinking coffee. Last night at 9 p.m., I took 400 milligrams of edibles, and then I woke up, like, 13 hours later, and I was all discombobulated and confused. Just know that I am still high from last night. Okay. Lake County, Minnesota, lies on the north side of Minnesota. Its north border abuts the south border of the province of Ontario, Canada, and its south border is formed by Lake Superior. That's from Wikipedia. In Lake County, you can find the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. It's one million acres of straight-up wilderness preserve. I have a hard time even picturing that much wilderness and it's certainly enough to get lost in i would like to say i've never been somewhere that wild i i don't think i have um one time i was going hiking with my dog and we went down this cliff and on the way up i got super fatigued and she pulled my ass up the fucking cliff it was unbelievable she's this little pit bull mix anyway one million acres of wilderness okay Get in the time machine, folks. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times, because we're going to October of 2001. October of 2001. Hmm. Can you think of any sort of world events that might impact, say, plans for international travel? Oh, yeah. 9-11. So in October of 2001, Jason Rasmussen just got the news that international flights would be suspended indefinitely. See, Jason had just planned the trip of his lifetime. He was 29 years old. He had pretty much lived outside those 29 years straight. Like, he had never been inside. Maybe he has been. But he loved to be outdoors, okay? And he had been saving up forever to afford his dream hike in Nepal. And then, goddamn 9-11 happened. And the planes crashed not only into the World Trade Centers, but into Jason's dreams. There would be no hike in Nepal. There would only be disappointment, unless Jason could figure out something else to do. He liked the Minnesota North Woods, and he decided that's where he'd find his adventure. He was looking for somebody to go hiking with him, but unfortunately, nobody wanted to go. He went to REI, which is a wilderness store, I guess. Um, As you can tell, I have never been (laughs) And he bought a Hiking Minnesota book, a wilderness survival pamphlet, a fisher map, and a disposable camera. That's pretty much all you need to go out into the woods. He read his Hiking Minnesota book and found Pow Wow Trail, a 23-mile loop. 
He showed his mom and he said, oh my god, this is where I'm going to go. His plan was to drive up to this parking lot, leave his car there, and hike this trail. He told her he was going to hike the trail counterclockwise. He was going to get there on Monday. He would find the trail and he would go counterclockwise. The first night, he would go to Poe's Lake. The second day, he would go to Superstition Lake. Can we pause and just say, I wouldn't personally stop there. And on the third day, Wednesday, he would hike back out to the parking lot. He told her if she didn't hear from him by Wednesday evening that she should call 911 and report him missing. Powwow Trail hugs the southern border of the Boundary Waters. Forest Service recommends only traveling to Pose Lake, so that's a 5.9 mile hike, because a portion of the trail burnt down, which made the trail even more rugged and hard to read. It seemed impossible to do this whole entire loop in three days, which his mom told him, and she kind of laughed him out, honestly. And I do have a picture. This is the first picture that Jason took with his disposable camera, folks. You know the drill already. You know what's about to happen here. I'm going to describe the picture to you. But if you want to see it with your own two eyes, you better walk those little balls down to our Instagram. And I'm sorry I talked about your balls like that. That was very uncouth of me. This is the first picture that Jason took with his disposable camera. You can see the hood of his car and it's a long winding road. There is snow on the ground and on the left and right side, it's so many trees that I would describe it as a wall. It looks like a wall of trees on either side. I, I mean, and it's dark is the other thing that really strikes me about it. The path itself is well lit because it's daytime, but if you look, at the trees that border the path, it is black. It's so dark. I mean, that's pretty, that really stands out in my mind. He took this picture because the snow was very striking to him. It was late October. He was surprised to see snow, but he was also prepared. And he couldn't help but notice how thick the trees were. What? Called it. He found the parking lot and he hiked up a mile. He crossed a bridge across Isabella River. He took another picture here. This is a picture of a river. Again, very dense forest throughout. You can notice some snow on the rocks, but it does look like it's melting. It's a good representation of the area. It's a beautiful picture to represent why he wanted to come out there. The other thing that kind of stands out is that the sky is so overcast, it's just gray. You can't exactly see the sun in the sky he did take a picture of the beginning of the powwow trail. It's pretty densely forested. He had his book on him. He had the map. He had the fisher map and he had a compass. But in his mind, the trail was really, really obvious. So he didn't think to consult any of his literature. It was a super soggy, boggy area, but the trail was still pretty obvious. And he starts to go up the trail following it counterclockwise and he's heading north. There was a fork in the road, and to follow the trail, he would have had to go left. There was no signage, because like I said earlier, this area had previously burnt, and the area was severely overgrown. It was known to locals that the trail was extremely easy to miss for this reason. Jason thought he was keeping left at the fork, but he actually went right instead. By four or five o'clock, he realized that he never found the lake that he expected to find. Remember we said he would be stopping at Poe's Lake? Well, he never found Poe's Lake. It was overcast and he couldn't really tell exactly what time it was, so he just set up his tent for the evening. October 23rd, 2001, the Powwow Trail used to have northwest and east loop, but 
Only the West Loop was mentioned in the Hiking Minnesota book, and it was talked about as if it was the full trail. This was a logging area, and those trails are actually called sucker trails by the locals, but not mentioned in the book. He had breakfast, and he packed up, and he continued to follow the open, spacious trail. Mid to late morning, he took another picture. It honestly, you guys, looks like a fucking swamp. There's just dead trees everywhere. I see no trail. I see no discernible landmarks. If this was me, I'd be panicking at this point. The trail seemed to be getting more difficult and more narrow as he continued. He looked in front of him and at a certain point realized there was no more trail. He was at a dead end. He thought maybe he had made a mistake and kind of lost it, so he started to go back and retrace his steps. Now here's something I never heard before I started researching this case. The rule of dominant handedness. Have you ever heard of that? Author Carrie J. Griffith coined this term, and it's the idea that most of us, I mean, we have a dominant hand, right? So most of us, if we're left-handed and we don't have a geological marker, we will just start to go in the direction of our dominant hand. So that's what he did. And in this process, he got so turned around, he couldn't tell his ass from Adam's. An hour or two later, he ended up in almost the exact same place. At this point, he did begin to panic. He decided to get out his hiking Minnesota map. He thought he was at Post Lake, but he was actually so far northeast of that. He was wet and cold. He got out his fisher map and his compass and hiked south. He was watching his compass and he was thinking in his mind that if he could just cut straight down, he would end up at the end of the trail. He thought that if he went south, instead of going through the entire loop, he could just cut through the center of the loop and just end up at the bottom of it. He hiked and he hiked. It was Tuesday afternoon. He bushwhacked all day. The woods were wet. It was overcast. It was about 3 or 4 p.m. when the sky just opened up and dumped on him pouring rain. He pitched his tent. (laughs) He was hungry, tired, cold, wet. At this point, he did see a body of water nearby, which he thought was called Fallen Arch Lake. But at this point, somewhere along the way, he lost his fisher map. So all he had now was the hiking map, which was not nearly as detailed. And he actually wasn't at fallen arch lake he was at a random beaver pond so he set up his tent he hung his clothes out to dry when he woke up the next day it was still pouring rain he didn't want to break down camp their survival guide said to stay put if lost but he still didn't think he was lost (laughs) we've all been there (laughs) i was gonna say men but like i've personally done that before too as a woman so uh, it's not a gendered issue by the afternoon the rain had stopped altogether Everything was soaked. He thought he could maybe just put his most basic supplies together, find the trail, and then come back when his tent and stuff were dry, and then pack it all up and get back on track. He got his fanny pack, and he brought his red long sleeve shirt, one tan pair of cargo pants, one navy blue pair of pants, one olive green and black windbreaker, one white long sleeve shirt, one white t-shirt, one pair of black boxers, two pairs of socks, and hiking boots. He also had a can of tuna, two Tootsie Rolls, a water bottle, and two packages of crackers, a whistle, and a pen. No matches. 
if you could pick one candy to have two of in the wilderness, I mean, ostensibly you're going to die, so this would be the last candy you ever eat, what are you going to pick? Because it's not going to be a Tootsie Roll, let me tell you. I'll pick a ring pop. Or actually a push pop. Because I could put the lid on it and I could just like, that would last me days, you know? Like, it would be a good time. Anyway, he got out and he headed south. He took another picture, which we do have here. Oh, it is just swamp. You guys, it is just straight up swamp. We live in kind of a rural, uh, really marshy area. And when it rains here, our backyard gets like this and... Uh, I'm not going on a tangent. I'm just trying to give you an idea of the ground. Okay. This, the status of the ground where Jason is walking. Imagine you go to step on the grass and it sinks and fills your crock up with water. <laughs> That's what happens in the yard when it rains a lot here. That's the whole entire ground where Jason is at right now. In this area where he was in 2001, that area had been flattened by bad weather two years before and it was mostly level. He had his compass. But to get around the down timber, he had to climb and go left and go right and go around. He ended up a quarter mile west of where he intended to go. He decided he was getting nowhere and that it was time to go back. His tent was bright orange and easy to see. And he had food there, so it was just safer for him to go there. And he's like, all right, I'm officially lost. Let me go back, cut my losses, and just sit and wait. He headed back north and he was paying really close attention to his compass was about 4 4.30 and he still could not find the lake or his stuff. It was cold. It was freezing. He found a bog. He tried to go through it on the grassy, drier part, but he fell in and he was wet from the knees down and that wetness was starting to freeze. He was devastated. It was cold. He had no fucking shelter at all. He was going to freeze to death. He thought about digging a pit, but decided against it due to the giant amount of energy that would take. Oh, you guys. He also brought his camera, clearly. Can't believe I forgot to say that. He also brought his disposable camera. He found a giant log that had fallen, which was starting to rot, and he dug out the center. So this is a gigantic tree, fallen on its side, and the center of it is rotted out so that it kind of creates a giant C. And he can crawl inside. It definitely doesn't look any sort of comfortable. And this picture is just incredibly sad and grim. And I don't think I could survive a night in that thing. He thought he could hollow it out and it would make a good shelter for the night. So he did. As night fell, the wind picked up. And he was grateful to have this shelter although it was very meager. He said, I must have been exhausted because that is the last thing I remember. I woke up in the middle of the night to a tremendous storm. Initially, I thought I was hearing gunshots. The storm had knocked over a lot of trees near him, but thankfully, none had landed on him in the night. He had survived the night. But Jason's fight for survival wasn't over. A massive snowstorm hit, and Jason was buried under 6 to 12 inches of snow. He did take a picture of that, too. At this point, he was taking pictures 
just so that somebody could develop them when they found his body and know how he died. What a grim and terrible place to be in mentally. Dread set in as he realized that his orange tent would be covered in snow too. If anybody was looking for him, they would not be able to find him. He took a picture from his shelter, which you can find on our Instagram. It is heavy snow covering every inch of that forest. There was no way he was going anywhere in these conditions. It would have been a death sentence. He remembered with faint hope the talk that he had with his mom. At 9 p.m. on Wednesday, she called 911 to report him missing. A deputy went to the parking lot and found Jason's car. The deputy did a cursory search but couldn't find him. And the police did what they do best. (laughs) Sorry, if you love cops, you're listening to the wrong podcast. They were like, ah, well, he snowed in. Eh, We'll give him some time, you know? Meanwhile, Jason's out freezing to death, thinking of ways he can improve his shelter. At night, he would remember his favorite restaurants. He would think of all the smells, sounds, tastes, textures, his favorite foods. He said, I close my eyes and imagine all my favorite food. His go-to were Japanese and Indian. Holy shit, Indian food sounds so good. I would literally jump out of a fucking plane for that right now. It was Friday, October 26, 2001, and the weather was sub-freezing. By dusk, the search was launched. So wait, (laughs) they waited two days? Oh my god. By dusk, the search was launched. Lake County Sheriff's Office, U.S. Forest Service, Minnesota Department of Natural Resources, and Search and Rescue Dogs formed to find Jason. I was reading a book about this, and the author said, if you ever get lost in Minnesota, do so in Lake County. (laughs) I guess they have the best SNR teams in town, okay? The search party was huge. From the 27th to the 28th of October, Jason knew he was lost and stayed still. When he saw planes overhead, he would get out and do jumping jacks to try to get their attention, and he would blow his whistle often. Search parties were still looking for him, day and night. 29th of October, day six of being lost, he realized he couldn't feel his toes. And on day seven, the weather finally broke. Jason realized he was numb up past his ankles. He counted 50 planes flying overhead. The weather was starting to get warm and the snow was starting to melt, which meant it was melting off his tent too. The pilot of a search and rescue plane spotted Jason's tent. It was in such a boggy area that the pilot said he didn't even know how Jason got there. There was two search and rescue people near, about a quarter to a half mile, and when they got word, they went straight through a cattail swamp to get to Jason's tent. They found the tent, opened it up, and saw all of the supplies but no Jason. There were four meals untouched. They were able to use that to see how long he was missing. They knew he was gone for seven days. They thought that it was impossible for him to survive a week out here with no food and no shelter. They set their sights to find and recover a body. They brought in cadaver dogs. The dogs acted weird by the tent. Little did they know, It was because Jason was only about a half mile away from there, still alive. 
The handler didn't follow the dog because they got a call from headquarters saying an ice storm was headed in from the northwest. We do have a scary picture of, oh my god, it just like activates my claustrophobia. It's a picture that Jason took of his point of view from inside his log that he was living in. And it is claustrophobic. I mean, it's a coffin. It's coffin-sized. He's essentially in a coffin buried under snow. Oh, makes me itchy. I can't stand that. Okay, so I didn't know this until just now, but you can't eat snow if you're in a situation like this. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Turns out that if you eat snow, it lowers your body temp, and then you're going to get other problems like hypothermia, which will kill you faster than dehydration. So what Jason was doing was melting his snow using his body temperature overnight, and then he would sip on it during the day. He was very slowly getting hypothermic, though. He was peeling little pieces of bark off of the log and writing goodbye notes to his family with his pen. He hadn't eaten in a week. Very little water. He also took a picture of the goodbye notes. It's really fucking sad. (laughs) And then this is actually hard to look at. Um, He took a selfie. I mean, in 2001, maybe it's the world's first selfie. But uh, you guys, it's hard to describe. He took a selfie. He looks gaunt. He looks pale. And he has the saddest look in his eyes. Um, and he's waving goodbye. He just has this absolute look of regret on his face. I mean, I'm trying not to get emotional because that's really, really sad. He's waving goodbye. The ice storm came through. By morning, the ice had started to melt and everything was soaking wet. Jason thought he was going to die. He couldn't feel his legs at all. He got up and tried to stomp around. He thought that he was hallucinating when he began to hear voices. The search and rescue team was back out there bright and early looking for Jason. It was a group of them, five people with a few dogs, and they were coming in from the north. They were going right along Jason's original route. Mid to late morning, a search and rescue plane flew over and Jason blew his whistle. One person in the group heard it. They were like, what the hell was that? But everyone was like, what are you talking about, crazy? When Jason blew the whistle again, two people heard it this time. A guy and a dog took the lead and followed the sound. And he found Jason. He saw Jason peeking out of the tree, and the search and rescue guy was like, who are you? He literally could not believe it was the same guy. He was so convinced that they were looking for a body. So when he saw a live person, he was like, who the fuck is that? And... I hope that they didn't make him use his uh, disposable camera, but they did take a picture with him after they found him. (laughs) I mean, he looks unbelievably happy. And it's also kind of funny that they made him like sit in his log shelter and take a picture. Like, I don't know. Something about that is just like, do it for the gram, I guess. Like, but something about that is so funny. (laughs) It is a cautionary tale. I cannot believe this man survived. A deputy said that Jason was cheating Darwin, which I think is a very mean thing to say. The author said he didn't agree. The mistakes Jason made were understandable and very easy to make. I mean, he really just got unlucky. He picked a trail from a map that wasn't specific enough, that had information missing, 
that had parts of the trail burnt down, parts of the trail leveled by weather, like, and all of these things just lined up to create this life or death situation for Jason. And I cannot believe this man survived, but he did because he has that dog in him. Are you scared? I am. I'm staying my ass inside. Stay my ass in the house. This would be the part of the podcast where we do something fun to lighten the mood, but honestly, my mood's pretty light. Jason survived. That man is a fucking champion, and I feel like everything's fine. Um, I miss my boyfriend. If you guys see him, please return him to me. And uh, sources for this week include Lost in the Wild, a true life story of survival in the Boundary Waters, and a hiker survived thinking of favorite eatery at upi.com. But don't take my word for it. Check out our fucking show notes and read it for yourself send us an email at the horror comedy podcast at gmail.com if you like the show leave us a five-star review and tell your friends about us or else i'll go get lost in the woods and i don't think i would survive so please and don't forget to drink water